the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Wide at TwinCitiesBusinessRadio.com. With SRN News, I'm Bob Agnew in Washington. A resident of a Honolulu high-rise that caught fire and likened the scene to a horror movie, except that it was for real, says that people inside the building died. Karen Hastings lives on the 31st floor of the building. We actually saw a person laying on a ledge, and I don't know whether he made it or not. He was in a, in a studio unit that didn't have a lanai, and it looked not good. Officials say the building was not equipped with a sprinkler system. The House has passed a new defense bill. This National Defense Authorization Act sets defense policies and priorities for the coming fiscal year. It authorizes the Defense Department to spend nearly $700 billion for the military. That's nearly $30 billion more than President Donald Trump requested. But the issue of military spending is far from over. That is correspondent Linda Kennedy on Capitol Hill on Wall Street Friday. The Dow gained 85 points. Oil prices picked up 46 pennies a barrel. This is SRN News. Does your family believe in the power of a private school education? Are you looking into sending your child to a private school next year? Hi, Alyssa here with Business 1440, and we want to help your family by covering half of your child's first year of private school with our half-off tuition program. This is a program we have had for five years now, helping many families get into the school of their dreams. This isn't financial aid. This is for everyone. Don't pay more than you need to for your child's first year of private school. For more information about the program, or if you would like to see a full list of partnering schools, visit our website at TwinCitiesTuitions.com. TwinCitiesTuitions.com is here to help you in your search for a new school with a great interactive map that will show you all of our partnering schools closest to you. And it even has frequently asked questions about the program, like why you should choose Christian education. Visit TwinCitiesTuitions.com. That's TwinCitiesTuitions.com. Can't make heads or tails of today's crazy markets? Tune in to Investing for Success every weekday from 4 to 5 p.m. on Business 1440, the Wall Street Business Network. And we will shed some light on investing and how you can get clarity in your investments. Join us for Nepsis Capital Management's Investing for Success, where Wall Street and Main Street meet every day from 4 to 5 p.m. on Business 1440, the Wall Street Business Network. TheFishTwinCities.com is home to the best in today's Christian music, the best melodies. Give me your heart for the ones forgotten. Give me your eyes so I can see. The top artists. And the greatest message. Listen on TheFishTwinCities.com and with the free mobile app. The Fish Twin Cities. Safe for the whole family. You are listening to the best of the King Banyan Show, part of the Northern Alliance Radio Network. It's the King Banyan Show on Business 1440. Music by George Clinton and George Beverly Shea. Yeah! Doesn't sound like George Beverly Shea. <laughs> Welcome back. King Banyan Show. This is 1440. Oh. I mean, think about I find myself thinking about um, this a lot lately. Um, this pace of technology. And I was just listening to that piece, and I'm trying to think to myself, you know, uh, the early days of um, synth- synthesized music. When we started to, when, when when did we first start using, and who who invented the, uh, you know, the Moog synthesizer, the um, the the wah wah pedal that you heard in that particular piece? Uh, uh, who used it first? 
I don't actually know the answer to. I mean, I think I think I'm going to assume the Moog synthesizer was invented by some guy named Moog, <laughs> Robert Moog. Yeah, but there you go. I mean, I. But you know, think about the the way in which those things happen, and and I brought up at the end of the last segment this piece, this wonderful. It, it's long. I, I my suggestion is is not try to skim it while you're listening to me, but this piece by Tim Harford, which is the cover piece of the uh, Financial Times Weekend magazine. Um, I would suggest instead you just go ahead and give it uh, give it a little bit of a uh, give it a little bit of a look and then put it aside and maybe uh, during a cup of coffee tomorrow morning uh, you go ahead and, and take a deeper dive into it. But it's worth thinking about um, a number of these uh, a number of these things uh, uh, in, in the way in which inventions happen. Uh, so I mentioned at the beginning, Somehow in, in Blade Runner, these androids just magically appear, yet we still go to a payphone to make a call to ask one out for dinner. Which is kind of, which is kind of odd, right? I liked in uh, Alien, if you look at yeah. the, the futuristic space, shoot, space suits they're wearing, the gloves are Cooper hockey gloves with the logo just, just cleaned off, you know? Are you kidding? Yeah, they're hockey gloves. If you look at their spacesuits in the original Alien, also uh, uh, a Ridley Scott movie, it's just hockey gloves. They're old Coopers or <laughs> Northlands or something, maybe Bowers. But, yeah, they're hockey gloves, I, I assure you. Oh, that's funny. I hadn't, I hadn't that's even their futuristic that. spacesuit. Uh, space right, Cooper, right. Cooper was on the cutting edge and, and will but be I for mean, years. But, I mean, you need to think about it. So why, why talk about this? It's, it's, it's like we're making fun of science fiction movies. But there's a bigger point, it, there's a bigger point to be made here. The, the point being, it is very difficult for us to see how technology changes things. And those technological changes that happen are, are the things which really move that productivity that we were talking about. And the way we get that productivity... The way it comes about and, and becomes ubiquitous uh, to, to be used by workers across the system is through the process of investment. Harford talks about the very simple, simple piece, right? Uh, um, the development of the printing press to, to, to print the, uh, the Gutenberg Bible from around 1450, right? What Gutenberg did was he invented a piece of metal that could be firmly uh, could be fixed firmly enough that you could print things on it. Now, printing had happened before. There were such there were there was I don't know if seen I don't know if you've ever seen wood blocks, but wood blocks is a very ancient technology to do printing, and these wood blocks can be can be carved very intricately so that when you put a piece of uh, uh, when you put the ink onto the wood block and then press it onto a, a piece of paper it, it it creates this beautiful print but the problem is wood is not that durable you can't it it wears down over time so the precision isn't there you can make art with it that's probably okay but actually print things using type that you made out of wood would very quickly break down and be illegible smudges on a page. But even that, as he, uh, even that ha has something up a, a precedent to it, right? Before Gutenberg could in invent the uh, the printing press, there had to be something to press it to. There had to be paper. Okay. Yes, parchment. Okay. okay. There was been parchment, but parchment was pretty expensive because, you know, you, you, you needed, if you wanted to print a Bible on parchment, right, parchment is sheepskin, so how many sheep do you have to kill to make a Bible if you're going to print it on parchment? Got a guess? The answer is 250. That's a lot of sheep. And you're probably not slaughtering them simply for the purpose of getting the skin, you want to figure out what to do with the rest of it. Okay, as well. But here's the thing. The Chinese had already figured out paper 1,500 years ago. 
right? They had already figured it out, and it had been it had been in China, it had been in in the Arab world, but it took years, centuries for it to get the quoting from quoting from uh, Harford's piece. It had taken centuries to spread to Christian Europe because illiterate Europe no more needed a cheap writing surface than it needed a cheap metal to make crowns and scepters. Paper caught on only when a commercial class started to see an everyday writing surface for contracts and it started to need an everyday writing surface for contracts and accounts. Quote, if 11th century Europe had little use for paper, writes Mark Kurlansky in his book, Paper, 13th century Europe was hungry for it. When paper was embraced, continuing reading, uh, reading Harford, when paper was embraced in Europe, it became arguably the continent's earliest heavy industry. Fast-flowing streams, first in Fabriano, Italy, and then across the continent, powered massive drop hammers that pounded cotton rags, which were being broken down by um, the ammonia from urine. This is why, by the way, and I grew up near, I don't know if, you, if you're listening, you grew up near a paper plant. They don't smell good. But, the, but they smell better than they would have, would have in the 13th century and 14th century because the paper plants of those times were actually using human urine to break down the cotton in order to hammer it into paper. If you don't have paper... You don't have anything to print it on unless you intend to kill a heck of a lot of sheep. So it was only when it became possible to mass produce paper that it became, made sense to search for a way to mass produce writing too. By the way, another invention of that very same period that had to come at that very same time was the clock. Now, the Chinese had clocks, right? But if you've ever been to, if you've ever been to uh, the Forbidden City in, in, in Beijing, there's a museum in the Forbidden City that, that shows the massive water clocks that the emperors had, Keep, keeping track of time. And if you've ever seen a water clock, it is huge. It occupies... It occupies a lot of space in a in in a uh, in a building, so only the very very rich, the, the the emperors and kings, could afford it. And the other part was, it was immobile. To take a water clock down, and move it to some other place, then recalibrate it, took months, if not years. And so once a water clock was put into a certain place, it stayed there. So how did the how did the twelfth century Chinese uh, merchant know what time it was and whether and, and what time to show up for a meeting for a meeting? They didn't. They just had to say, "Well, I'll see you at sunrise or at sundown." They had to rely on what the, some rough estimate of the position of the sun, meaning that they could only get two or three meetings a day. It took continental Europe to figure out how to create first the mechanical clock that didn't run on water but then the most important in instrument of all of those the watch what you and I take for granted right that five or ten dollar watch that you throw on your wrist was an enormous invention of the, mid, of the medieval period because now merchants could say, I will be at such and such a place at, at 10 o'clock, at 2 o'clock, at 3.30. Nobody had the ability to tell that time until watches were created. And how much more commerce could be done? How, much, how, how many more meetings could a merchant have if now they could actually say, rather than I'll see you at sun up or at sundown or at midday, they could say ten o'clock or two thirty. So these are massive changes in technology, but they are that you and I now take for granted. But they're not great things. They're not they're not Rachel the beautiful android. 
from Blade Runner. I mean, once you start down that road, um, and and actually, John, the the email you sent me about about the third thumb got me to think about something else. <laughs> yeah, that was entirely Steve's. different. Entirely different. All you know, because I thought that was interesting. Um, okay, the the, the the piece was about using that thumb for the purpose of playing a, a guitar. Correct. And right and. Um, and certainly, uh, you, you, if you watch a great guitarist, they, they seem to have ways to to touch more strings and move around using both hands um, than you think than you think is humanly possible. I mean, if I had an extra thumb to play guitar with, well, I'd be I'd be playing music. I wouldn't be here giving you talk radio. <laughs> but think about the think about the. Uh, about that guitar that you started, the guitar you started the segment with. What is it made with? It's made with wire, with metal wire. You know where where metal wires really started to come into into play? Barbed wire. What did you need barbed wire for? Right? Combat. Barbed wire. Well, no, but before that. Before that, um, was just invented. This is Joseph Glidden, who invented it, patented it back in 1874. And in just six years, they had produced enough wire annually to circle the world over ten times. Barbed wire's only advantage over wooden fencing was its cost, but that was quite sufficient to cage the wild west because it was, in the name of its great salesman of the time, John Wayne Gates, Lighter than air, stronger than whiskey, cheaper than dust. <laughs> you can buy barbed wire for anything, right? Well, the the, the, the if you watch a, a violinist play play guitars, what what did they play on? Violinists uh, will often play on strings made of gut, of uh, the of the intestines from cats. But to make make violins ubiquitous and guitars ubiquitous so that we could all play them, you can't keep taking uh, cat guts and, and make <laughs> lots lots of instruments. So they had to figure out a way to use wire to do that. But no one would have figured out the wire piece if it wasn't for the creation of barbed wire to help fence in large ranches in the West back in the 1870s. From small inventions come great things. And it is very hard for us to know what the great thing is going to result from that small invention. Okay? So difficult that Ridley Scott had Harrison Ford use a payphone. Back after this, you're listening to The King Banyan Show on Business 1440. silver supply is vanishing at an alarming rate. 90% of the silver available at the turn of the century is already gone. Silver is an essential component in nearly every industry and is of strategic importance to every country on earth. At American Bullion, we see a tremendous opportunity in owning silver today. Experts are calling it the next silver super cycle, projecting the price to double or more from its recent lows. During the last silver super cycle, prices increased by 500%. Plus, silver comes with built-in protection against a stock market crash, global uncertainty, and currency devaluation. So it's a great choice as part of your retirement account. Any IRA or old 401k can be easily converted into an IRA that holds physical silver. The entire process is quick, simple, and secure because American Bullion specializes in converting existing retirement accounts into silver and it's 100% tax-free. Call 800-445-4546 now to receive our free silver investment kit. 800-445-4546. That's 800-445-4546. Hi, this is Terry Sandvold, CEO of Sandvold Financial Group and host of Money Talks. Sandvold Financial Group would like to help provide the sturdy foundation for your financial future. We want you to plan for tomorrow, today. Give us a call to attend an upcoming seminar at 
952-544-2837. That's 952-544-2837. Or go to helpmeterry.com to set up a no-cost financial review today. Registered representative of and independent of Questar Capital Corporation. Member FINRA SIPC. Advisory services offered through Questar Asset Management. A parking lot full of holes can make your place of business look bad, both to customers and to your employees. Let Allied Blacktop make your school, church, or company more inviting with pricing as low as it's been in 10 years. Allied Blacktop does it all, from repairing to sealing or installing a completely new lot. Call now to get on Allied Blacktop's schedule. The season is short and it's filling up fast. Allied Blacktop, the premier commercial and municipal asphalt maintenance and repair contractor in Minnesota. Online at alliedblacktopmn.com. Dennis Prager here, and for two years now, I've been telling you about my wife, Sue, who tried Relief Factor because of her knee pain, and it worked. This is before I ever even heard about the product. I never endorsed a pain reliever, but now I am. And yes, now I'm taking Relief Factor 2. Maybe you've heard me call it a miracle. In fact, listen to what Amanda from Texas wrote. I was having pain in my left thumb area and left side of my leg from my knee about four inches up. After about a week of taking Relief Factor, the pain in my leg has gone away. And a few days later, the pain in my left hand is gone. We've gotten thousands of these testimonials, and if you're struggling with ongoing back or neck pain, shoulder, hip, or knee pain, or general muscle aches and pain, do what my wife Sue did, try Relief Factor. Go to relieffactor.com or call them toll-free 800-583-84, 800-583-84. You are listening to the best of the King Banyan Show, part of the Northern Alliance Radio Network. Welcome back. King Banyan Show, Business 1440. I'm pretty sure this part of the the Spotify playlist was not in uh, John's list before 10 o'clock. Indeed it was not. <laughs> Thank you. That's why I love the fact that we can change these things on the fly. It's terrific. Indeed. Um, so... Our point, so two points, and, and again, I highly, highly recommend. We've been talking about the uh, piece in, uh, in, the, in the the cover story in the Financial Times uh, uh, magazine for this weekend uh, by Tim Harford um, on what we get wrong about technology. Um, and this is a topic that I've talked about in the past several times, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna read you the rest of the piece. It's just too darn good. Um, um, uh, it's just too darn good. It does talk about solar energy and and the fact that the catch on solar energy isn't, it, it, you know, the, 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 the you know, do we know how to make energy out of out of sunshine? Absolutely. All right. What we need to figure out is the battery, the the, the lithium ion battery. Um, and as as we learn more how to get those done well. Solar energy's price will continue to fall, and eventually, that in fact is what will happen. This is solar energy will become ubiquitous to us at some point because, but it will be because the market learned how to make it cheaper. It will not be. It will not be because some government laboratory made some fantastic discovery. I mean, think about right. Think about the fact it took centuries for the for Europe to figure out the uses of paper. Then becomes a giant industry uh, to print with, and now and now that paper is in your in your bathroom for for use for for personal hygiene. Right, that's. That to, if if you really think it through, that seems that actually will seem pretty remarkable. That process, though, took hundreds of years. And yes, things change faster, but do they change fast enough? 
this is the sort of the ar- argument, and I would be interested in getting calls from you, 651-289-4477. Are you a techno-optimist, or are you a techno-pessimist? The techno-optimist story is technology will always provide me another solution. Technology just is changing faster and faster, and so we're going to live fantastically comfortable lives with machines that we don't understand, that we might not be able to predict right now, but they're going to be there, and I absolutely know they're going to be there, and so a lot of these issues I have are going to go away. Right? It's the thought that says, I don't really need to worry, even if I thought climate change was happening, which I, I personally do, and even if I thought it was man-made, and at least some share of it's man-made, we can argue about which share, what share that is, but, but I'm pretty sure neither zero or 100% are the right answers. But techno-optimism says it's going to be cheaper to deal with that problem in the future, so maybe we'll wait until, until we find that solution which is cheap. And technology is going to solve that problem for me. I have some reason to believe that's true, but I can't tell you how that's going to do that. And I can't tell you whether that solution means that there will be always a coal industry or even an oil industry. So I don't know those things, and I can't pretend to know those things. Right? So, but the techno-optimist says, they're going to happen, don't you worry, they're going to happen. So, relax, you know, don't worry, be happy, everything's going to be fine. Or are you a techno-pessimist? And the techno-pessimist says, if you look at this phase of our human history where we had this fantastic growth of GDP, we had millions of people millions upon millions of people lifted out of poverty. I mean, think about this. We crossed the boundary of someone going from being very poor, meaning that they live on less than $2 a day, around the world. About a quarter million people leave that condition daily. Will it continue? There's some reason to believe that perhaps it won't. On line one, uh, with a question, we have Dan in Minneapolis. Good morning, Dan. How are you today? How are you doing, Professor? I'm, I'm doing well. Great. Your conversation has kind of reminded me of that famous Louis C.K. quote about the millennial who's flying in the plane at 35,000 feet when his Internet goes out, and he just becomes totally unraveled because yes. you can't get any Wi-Fi. And Louis C.K. says, has it ever struck you that we live in the most technologically advanced age ever in time and nobody's happy? I show this I show this to my classes, Dan. I love that particular piece. I have to use the version that he did. I want to say it was with Leno um, because it's the clean version. <laughs> Well, my question is this: I've heard, I've heard him do the I've heard him do the uh, PG thirteen version of that too. No, I, I kind of cleaned it up for your show this <laughs> yeah, morning. Yeah, I appreciate here, but, that. Uh, my question is this: Does it not? Is it just me, or does it not seem like every great technological advancement, while it brings with it some great new power to do something better, also conversely brings with it an equally potent dark side? Okay, well, how about, so what's the dark side of a clock? Uh, well, I, I'm just thinking off the top of my head here now. Um, yeah. Today we, we run our lives by the clock. You know, we can have a conversation in six minutes, but not seven or eight, because we've got to be somewhere else at this other, yep. you know, place and time. Yep. And I know, pe- um, I know people that have six-minute have six minute calendars. They have every six minutes scheduled. Okay, so for me, that's a problem. 
Um, okay. You can go down the list. You know, television was great. It, it it brought us information, and like Frank Zappa said, it turns us it turns us into you know zombies. Um, not me, but you know, it it you can you can make an argument. I'm not saying that it's but it's airtight. But you can make an argument that technology, with ever advancements, also brings along with it um, uh, another flaw to deal with. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Sure, so, sure. Well, I think that. I mean, that, that Dan, that's that's quite that's quite a reasonable position, and I think I think a lot of people believe that that you know it, everything comes with a new problem. But that new problem, I think, in part, is the result of the. Of our expectations. That's why I laugh. Why do we laugh at that story that Louis C.K. does? Because, because it's 50% we all, true. It's 50% true. We and, and we probably caught ourselves, you know, I, I use the Wi-Fi when I fly. Um, I use the Wi-Fi, and, and if the Wi-Fi goes out while I'm flying, you know, my life is poorer for that moment because my plan got frustrated. But I'm only able to plan that because... I have the ability to use the internet while I'm in the air, which frankly is amazing. <laughs> well, it, <laughs> it is, is amazing. Um, it is amazing, and that's Louis. That's Louis's point, and I think it's really true. And I guess I'm old school, Doctor Banyan. When I fly, I sleep. <laughs> I and, and there and there are times I when I can, and there, yeah, what, and and I can sleep on planes, but frankly. Um, it, my life has enough meetings in it that all of a sudden I now have two hours where nobody can bother me and I can do exactly what I want for those two hours. Uh, speaking of reminiscing about flying on planes, and I'm going to finish up with this. You, yeah. I know, remember the days when you used to be able to smoke on an airplane? Yes, I do. <laughs> and, I remember that. No matter whether you were sitting in the smoking section or way up at the front of the plane, as far away as you could get from it, when you got off the flight, you smelled like an ashtray. <laughs> Absolutely. You know what? And I don't, I don't miss cigarettes on planes. No, not at all. Not, not at all. Hey, Dan, thanks for the call. Appreciate yeah. it very much. Bye-bye. Dan, bye-bye now. Dan calling at 651-289-4477. Why don't you hop in the, in the queue there, and we'll get back to you right after this on the King Banging Show on Business 1440. Yeah. Funky dogs. Nasty dogs. If you're over the age of 50 and considering buying an annuity in the next 60 days, I have some important news for you. Don't buy an annuity until you understand the pros and cons of annuities. A free book to help you maximize your retirement income from television host and three-time author Josh Melberg has been released. This book reveals little-known truths about annuity strategies in simple-to-understand terms. Grab a pen right now because we are about to offer you this free book that unlocks the five little-known secrets we believe baby boomers and seniors should know before buying an annuity. Call 800-725-1616 now and you'll receive a free copy of Josh Melberg's book, Next Gen Annuity Strategies Revealed. As a bonus, we'll also send you a copy of The Number One Mistakes Retirees Are Making With Their Investments Today and a free DVD on how you can get up to 33% more income in retirement. Call 800-725-1616. That's 800-725-1616. Employees of J.D. Melberg Financial have the appropriate licenses for the products they offer. This is Nick Anderson, General Manager of Business 1440. For centuries, it's been called the land of promise. Today, it's the land of blessing. In 2017, come and experience for yourself the only place God called my land. Experience Israel next fall and celebrate Jerusalem's 50th anniversary. A -a once-in-a-lifetime trip awaits as you travel with Business 1440 and Genesis Tours. Tour Israel like never before during nine exciting days. You'll visit Galilee, the Jordan Valley, the Garden Tomb, and many historic sites. Embolden your faith and trace back to the very steps of Jesus and experience firsthand the beauty of the Mediterranean landscapes, culinary delights, and return home with a renewed vision for your life. 
A dedicated team of passionate and knowledgeable professionals will lead this tour. Four- and five-star travel accommodations will give you comfort and safety for the duration of the trip. For full cost and trip details, visit TwinCitiesBusinessRadio.com, keyword Israel. What do your weekday evenings look like? For me, they were spent stressing over my daughter's math homework, hours of it, until we found Mathnasium Learning Centers. Their teaching method is fun and effective. All that time spent struggling with homework has been replaced with stress-free dinners and quality family time. Mathnasium gave us our evenings back and gave my daughter the tools she needs to succeed and the opportunity to simply enjoy being a kid. Visit Mathnasium.com today to find your nearest location. Have you heard of the summer slide? Well, it's not as fun as it sounds. In fact, it's impacting our children's education and not in a good way. Studies show that most students lose two months' worth of math skills during summer vacation. Thankfully, Mathnasium Learning Centers are here to prevent learning loss and help kids get ahead. With over 600 locations worldwide, we're breaking the summer slide trend. Visit Mathnasium.com today to find the center nearest you. You are listening to the best of the King Banyan Show, part of the Northern Alliance Radio Network. Welcome back. King Banyan Show, business 1440. 651-289-4477. It's job Saturday, and I'm actually going to come back to jobs at the end of this hour in a way that perhaps will kind of surprise you. Or actually, I might do it, finish up this segment. We're moving along quite nicely. But if you'd like to call, 651-289-4477. Are you a techno-optimist or a techno-pessimist? Um... I I admit, for years and years, I would have called myself a techno-optimist. I seem to be I seem to be walking back from it a little bit of late, and largely because of this productivity figure and the fact that I don't see I don't see I don't see enough investment in new technologies that really are are changing things. I. I enjoyed uh, over on our Twitter feed at Pound KBRS. Um, I uh, Narn fan has been <laughs> writes. We will give we will give pills to old people to make them delay Medicare and Social Security usage, and then equals productivity. Yep, that could certainly help. Um, uh, Don writes to us: technology-based future will n- neither be as good as a techno optimist or as bad. As the techno pessimist predicts, well, I'm probably in that middle camp with you there, um, Don. I think I have a hard time. I have a real hard time believing. Um, I have a real hard time believing that um, that productivity growth is just like an on-off switch, and we turned somehow it turned off in 1970, as uh, Bob Gordon at Northwestern has written in the Decline and Fall of. Uh, or the rise and fall of of American economic growth. Great book, very 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 interesting. Um, I I really like the book, but I don't agree with it. I just think he tells he he's a good good writers in economics are like good writers in history, right? They're storytellers, and the better storyteller you are, the better your writing will be. That's why I've when my students tell me. When the and it's rare, but when a student asks me, "Can I how can I write better?" I tell them, "Read." Look me, what? I said, "Find writers you like and read them. Read them a lot. Study how they how they hook you on the book, and and underline particularly beautiful sentences that you see, and then imitate in your own writing." And I said. Chances are most of the reading you will read is not in economics because economists, by and large, are not terrific writers. But I, I digress. Let me, um, 
Yeah, you're right. You're right, John. Christopher Hitchens, fantastic writer. You could learn a lot about writing by reading Christopher Hitchens. But if you don't read good writers, you'll never be a good writer yourself. That I, I firmly believe that, and it's part of part of what I when I teach the uh, when I when I did here currently currently in administration, but. When I taught here, I asked to do the senior seminar. Um, I love work, even though it's intense, and it, it, is a, it is a major drain on a faculty member's time to, to help a dozen students write their senior thesis in a semester. But um, we do it, and we like it. And um, I tell them, you know, I tell them when they're first-year students to start reading so that they can become better writers by the time they get back to me. Six five one two eight nine four four seven seven. Let me turn to a couple other ideas on this. I'll, I'll still take your techno optimist, techno pessimist question, uh, point of views, points of view on this. But I think it's worth understanding that the fact that we can't really understand or describe how how the leaps in productivity and technology happen. I mean, uh, Frank points out to, to me on Twitter, right? Star Wars is a show that a show that came and went without ever knowing Steve Jobs. True. Absolutely. Right. <laughs> For that matter, Star Wars didn't either. Um, yet Star Wars, at least, and and Star Wars and Star Trek, both imagined that intergalactic uh, communication was possible and intragalactic communication was ubiquitous and timely. Right? The Enterprise could get instructions from Starfleet Command and execute them in real time. That actually is a pretty remarkable thing. But think about think about some other things that we take for granted in, in the work we do in economics, right? Let me start with uh, uh, the thing we talked about in the last hour, GDP, and ask a very basic question. How easily is it for us to measure GDP in the 2017 economy versus the 1947 economy, in which Simon Kuznets and others at uh, Columbia University came up with national income and product accounting and gave us GDP? GDP did not exist as a concept when, when people say GDP is a Keynesian concept, and I always smile at them and say, but GDP was invented 11 years after the general theory. So when Keynes wrote the general theory, he doesn't know what that is. He uses the words output or income. He does not use GDP as a term in any of his words. Right. That came later. But here's a paragraph from Arnold Kling um, that was um, written about three weeks ago that, I, that, I, that I've been lo- looking at quite a bit. The economy is much less legible today than it was in 1950, he writes. The most legible components of the economy are agriculture and manufacturing. In 1950, the majority of people worked in those sectors. Today, if you add up farm labor and manufacturing production workers, not including the white-collar workers in manufacturing, you get maybe 7% of the labor force. Pretty much everyone else does wor- works in sectors like finance, government, health care, and education, where we do not know how to measure or value output. I would add, we have a way of measuring that, but we measure it by... The inputs, not the output itself. Here's here's what's interesting. The little secret about GDP accounting is this. Kuznets and his team came up with what's called the fundamental identity of national income and product accounting, which is that total output equals total expenditures, which equals all of the payments on the factor inputs the land, the labor, the capital, and, and, and the payment to the entrepreneur, the profit. So wages, interest, interest, rent, and profit. 
if you added those up, you'd get you'd also get to a measure that that ties to GDP. That's how we in fact do it. We don't do it in any we don't do it in some other way. So that legibility comment that Kling makes is about the measurement of GDP as the counting of stuff. But that counting of stuff was something an impulse that we only got about six or seven hundred years ago. With the advent and with it came the desire to write the once you counted it, to write the number down. Which meant that you needed paper as well as a pen. But truthfully, GDP numbers, the ones we talk about, were created in a time where where it was easier to talk about counting output in a physical sense. You could count the number of carrots and the number of widgets that had been produced, multiply them by their prices, and add them together so that you could have a dollar measure that you could call GDP. We don't have that in finance. All we can do in finance is, in fact, to add up the cost of the the workers, plus the cost of the the rent paid for the building, plus any loans, the interest on any loans they take out, plus the profits that is taken back by the owners of the owners of the financial business. That's how we measure the GDP. And Kling's point that that's that's a little less tied to what we would actually call output is absolutely true. But if you do that, if you go down that road, then the entire enterprise of, of calculating GDP breaks down because without the fundamental identity that Kuznets identified, you can't do the rest. Once you lose that, you've lost everything. Technology, I believe, will infect that fundamental identity that Kuznets found, I think is an identity for a particular point in time, but I agree that it's not measuring nearly as well as it did in 1950. And so one wonders whether or not this 1%, 2%, 2.5% world, should we be using that number and looking back at what it was 50 years ago and think we're talking about the same thing? Well, I think once you ask the question, it sort of begs the answer. We shouldn't. How does this all relate to the jobs report? Well, I saved that for the last segment coming up after this. You're listening to The King Banyan Show on Business 1440. KYCR Golan Valley, a service of Salem Communications. I'm Pastor David Mitchell, founder and CEO of Tradeway. I've been in the ministry for over 30 years now. Because the Lord has continued to bless my business endeavors, I've never had to take a salary from the church, which has been a huge blessing in my life and a great way for me to give back to the Lord's work. I'd like to share with you my thoughts on the importance of the family business. You know, these days, people send their children to college to learn a trade that no one in the family has done before. They move away, they work for someone who doesn't love them, and then they trade their infinitely valuable time for a little bit of someone else's money. The old plan was to get a job but lay aside each month and later start a family business. As the owner, you leverage the time of others and earn off hundreds of man hours per day. It's called financial leverage. The added benefit is that each generation teaches the next and builds on these skill sets and your children have the competitive advantage of experience. That's a great plan for potentially creating generational wealth. Tradeway offers you the vehicle to start such a family business by teaching you how to trade in the stock market. Perhaps you're intimidated or confused by the world of investing, but Tradeway is here to help you break down that confusing world of finance so that you can understand it. We're not your typical boss, big Wall Street investment advisory firm. We keep it fun, simple, and personal from day one. 
We offer our students a powerful education on how to trade in the U.S. stock and options market coupled with sound investment advice and all from our family business. We're here to help you reach your biggest goals through taking small steps. Join us and bring your family. Coming to the Weston Edina Galleria, September 15th and 16th. Only $99.95 for your entire household, plus a free ticket for a friend and a full money-back guarantee. To register, call 877-907-TRADE. That's 877-907-8723. Or go to Tradeway.com. That's Tradeway.com. you got to be kidding me. That's outrageous. There's no way that's true. That's one of the craziest things I've ever heard. Tune in to Investing for Success with Mark Pearson for the headline versus the bottom line every Friday. We wrap up the work week with a look at the outrageous claims and misleading headlines made by the financial press. From the stock market to international events, we uncover the media's bias and preponderance for exaggeration and fear-mongering. You can't make this stuff up. It's real headlines and so-called expert opinion that borders on the absurd. And it's often a lot of fun, too. Tune in to Investing for Success with Mark Pearson every day from 4 to 5 p.m. And don't miss the headline versus the bottom line every Friday. It's a great way to avoid the needless anxiety and confusion most financial news groups create and have a little fun. The headline versus the bottom line every Friday from 4 to 5 p.m. on Investing for Success with Mark Pearson. It would be even funnier if it weren't so shockingly true. It's the headline versus the bottom line every Friday from 4 to 5 p.m. on Investing for Success with Mark Pearson. You are listening to the best of the King Banyan Show, part of the Northern Alliance Radio Network. Welcome back, King Banyan Show. Business 1440. We pull the train into the station for another week. I actually had two more points to make, and I don't think I'm going to get to one of them. Um, or not in enough detail. I mean, here's a, maybe I can make both points. Um, great piece put up earlier this week. Um, uh, I think this is uh, in lieu of a full-blown review of um, Sebastian Malaby's book, uh, The Man Who Knew the Life and Times of Alan Greenspan. I'm in, I'm in the middle of reading Malaby's book right now. It's, it's actually quite good. Um, but one of the things that, that, that I think, uh, think I agree with John Cochran, who, who's written this review, and I've posted it, titled uh, Malaby, the Fed, and Technological, Technocratic Illusions. It's the difference between, between knowing what you don't know and not knowing what you don't know, or in the, the words of Donald Rumsfeld, it's not, there's the known unknown and the unknown unknowns. And these, and, and in particular... Um, in particular, uh, in particular, it's the unknown unknowns that get us into trouble. It's, it, it, or to put it a different way, what George Stigler said about um, once long ago, George Stigler, famous uh, uh, University of Chicago economist back in the sixties and seventies. It's not. It, it's it's not what know that gets us in as much trouble as what we know that is wrong. We might be mistaken in thinking about what's going on with GDP because it's become less legible. We don't know that. We don't know it well enough. And, and our willingness to play with the idea that, that maybe GDP isn't measuring as well as it used to and we should look for some other measures, I think makes some sense. As I think about the job story, and you know, in this concern about the under the fact that we have such low participation rates, it's certainly true. I it's certainly true, in my mind at least, that some of some of the, that the value of leisure in our economy is greater than it was before. Right. I can go through all kinds of different examples of this. Um, the fact that advertising, you know, advertising dollars hasn't risen, even though we all spend so much more time on TV and we think it's a, you know, in front of our in front of our video screens, and we think they're so much more relevant. You could think about uh, Harford has another column uh, this weekend 
talking about talking about the uh, discoveries of uh, Ed Castronova, a uh, professor at uh, I think he's still at UC Irvine. He may have moved from Irvine, uh, but but he's an economist, and his whole his whole uh, uh, research agenda is based on studying how people uh, how economies have been created around virtual video games. The one he cut his teeth on was EverQuest. And the fact that you could actually make about $3.50 an hour killing orcs in EverQuest on behalf of somebody else, in behalf of some other character, right? Doesn't sound like great money to you and me, but if you're having a lot of fun and, and making three fifty an hour, that might be all right. But if you're, if you're in Ethiopia and someone says, says, here, take your computer and go kill orcs for me and I'll send you three fifty an hour through PayPal or in Bitcoins, doggone, that sounds, that sounds great. Those transactions are not showing up in GDP. Those transactions do not indicate that that per- person playing that video, that World of Warcraft game is employed, but in fact they are engaged in a productive activity. But even more to the point is, the fa- is, is just this. The instruments that we have, the technologies that we have changed have made leisure so much more enjoyable that when we look at the work versus leisure trade-off, right, if leisure has a lot more value, why wouldn't we expect that we would enjoy more leisure and therefore work less? Why isn't that an equilibrium outcome? And even more to the point, why, why should... Why should we look at that and say it's a it's a terrible thing? So, I'm not techno optimist. I'm not techno pessimist. But technology is certainly changing the world we're in, and maybe maybe technology is changing things in a way that we find really enjoyable. If only we could measure that enjoyment. Thanks so much for listening today. We'll talk to you soon again on another edition of the King Banyan Show on Business 1440. Hi, Bam Ransom here, along with Johnny Dean and Rick the Professor Blum. We know how important financial planning and wealth education can be, so we're focusing the show on the investor strategy designed for the needs you have today and the goals you have for the future. Join us for Bucket Strategy Investing. Bucket Strategy Investing. Answering questions about your most important financial challenges, your 401ks, IRAs, Social Security, and more. Join us every day for Bucket Strategy Investing. Tune in every weekday at noon on the new Business 1440. Every day, the men and women of the United States Marine Corps demonstrate their commitment to defend the American way of life. Since 1775... We have served our nation as a force in readiness. From combat operations to humanitarian assistance in every corner of the world. No matter where the mission takes us today or wherever our country needs us tomorrow, we always remember the land we call home. As Marines, we take a stand. For each other, for our nation, for us all, the few, the proud, the Marines. I'm sure glad you're my sister, Addy. Yep, you're my best buddy. Mom says you were their little surprise. What would we do without you? Well, you'll probably get your own gum. Yeah, that's true, but you're worth it. Hello, my name is Carrie. I work with Pro-Life Across America, the billboard people. If you know someone who is pregnant or in need of alternatives to abortion or needs post-abortion assistance or would like to support the life-saving work of Pro-Life Across America, please call 1-800-366-7773 or check us out online at prolifeacrossamerica.org. Pro-Life Across America, educational, non-political, and tax-deductible. A baby's heart is beating 18 days from conception. Pro-Life Across America. 
Your behavioral biases and emotional triggers have a great impact on your success or failure as an investor. Tune in to Money Matters with Alan Mike this week as they talk about the challenges that are hardwired into all of our DNA that we must all overcome to be a success in the market. We're all human and make mistakes, but how do we avoid them? Alan Mike have solutions and strategies for you. So make sure you listen to Money Matters with Alan Mike Sunday at 2 p.m. on Business 1440 or call them right now at 855-231-6010. You're home for up-to-the-minute market updates. This is Business 1440 KYCR. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.